Last week we tackled the Eastern Conference, but in episode 139, it's the Wild Wild West edition, and it starts right now. And now, it's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Dubuff. Our season preview continues with the Western Conference today, but as always, we're going to delve into the Hockey Hall of Fame trivia uh, before we get anywhere else. Brett, are you ready for this week's question? I'm ready, yes. Okay, question 28, if you can believe it. We are already at question 28. I'm just looking for the question here. Okay, here we go. What was Lanny McDonald referring to when he said, This is the most peaceful feeling in hockey. A, his assist on teammate Daryl Sittler's 1976 Canada Cup winning goal. B, his acrimonious departure from Harold Ballard's Maple Leafs in 1979, C, his Stanley Cup championship in 1989, or D, his 1992 entry into the Hockey Hall of Fame? Well, the only reason why I know Lenny McDonald is because of his Stanley Cup run. Um, so I'm going to, and it makes sense uh, that this is the most common calm feeling in the world. Um, so I'm going to go with the Stanley Cup win. C. Look out, everyone. He's on a winning streak now. <laughs> Lanny McDonald's Stanley Cup championship in 1989 was indeed the correct answer. That was an easy and, one. Uh, yeah, I'm sure a lot of NHL players can attest to that feeling. It's unlike any other. Anyway, so yeah. uh, we're starting off with the Central of the Pacific, uh, Brett, for our uh, Yeah, we're going to start off with the Central. Um, All right. But, yeah, so we're going to do the same thing as we did last week for the uh, for the Western Conference. Uh, and we're also – so the Central is out today um, on Wednesday. Um, I mean, you guys know it's out Wednesday. Um, and then on Thursday, tomorrow, you'll look forward to the Pacific Division. Um, there should be a little bit, um, you know, uh, not longer, um, the opposite of longer. I'm blanking on that. This is going to be a long day, I guess. But um, Shorter. Shorter, yes. Shorter. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> uh, <laughs> this is going to be a shorter, um, hopefully a shorter episode just because... There are less teams to talk about, um, and I, I feel one, like, l- one less team to be specific. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Pacific, huh? Um, but the yeah, that's true because now that the Golden Knights are in, but um, but yeah, and I, I feel like I'm also a little bit less knowledgeable on the Western Conference than the Eastern Conference. Probably um, because both of our favorite teams are yeah. in the opposite conference, right? And that's a huge reason why. But um, but I that doesn't necessarily mean that we're not knowledgeable. Um, <laughs> so so that uh, so keep that in mind, I guess. Um, all right, let's start with the central division, and we're doing this alphabetically. So we're going to start with Chicago. Uh, Chicago's their notable additions and their subtractions. 
Uh, Cam Ward, uh, Chris Kunitz, and Marcus Kruger. Their notable subtractions were part, uh, Patrick Sharp. Uh, I guess he, he's not on a team anymore. Uh, Anthony Duclair, Jordan Osterle, and Vinny Hinestroza. Um, they, there are some rookies to watch. Um, it looks like Henry Joki Haru, who was the uh, 2017 draft pick, um, he's probably going to start uh, for the Blackhawks, so that should be exciting for them. And also, it looks like Dylan Sakura will probably make his uh, debut at some point this season. He didn't make the opening day roster, though, so um, there is there is that. But um, it looks like... Uh, you know, he was kind of hyped to be this, like, this big rookie or, like, a Calder kind of, uh, not front runner, but a Calder dark horse kind of, of sorts. Mm-hmm. And um, it looks like he's not going to be there. Because he, uh, he was pretty good in for Northeastern, um, but I guess we'll have to wait to see him really take place there. Um, and then the really good news recently for the Blackhawks, um, is that Corey Crawford took part in practice yesterday, or um, if you're uh, listening to this on Wednesday or Thursday or whenever, uh, that would be Monday, October 1st. Um, and uh, so that was really the key to the, the Blackhawks' success, because when, when Corey Crawford was healthy, he had a... Um, he had a 929 save percentage, a 2.27 GAA. Um, he went 16-9 and 2 uh, when he was healthy, but then they slowly fell apart. So this was like around um, like towards the middle of November, I guess, is when uh, Crawford just uh, got injured, um, and then um, and then all of a sudden. Uh, they became la- They were in the last place in their central division by a far margin. They were the only team. Um, so they had 76 points. They went 33, 39, and 10. Um, so that puts them at 76 points. Everyone else had more than 92 points. Um, so um, so that kind of just shows the disparity of them. Uh, Patrick Kane had 76 points. In 82 games, Jonathan Tays had 52 points, Schmaltz had 52 points in 78 games, and uh, DeBrincat had 52 points in 82 games. Uh, and then uh, there was some, I guess, and then, so those are some bright spots that Schmaltz and DeBrincat, so you have those guys. Um, but then you have Duncan Keith, who was disappointing because he only had two goals, although he did have 32 points. Um, Anisimov had 31 points in 72 games. Seabrook was really disappointing, um, but he had 26 points in 81 games. Um, so there's a lot of I could go on and on, I guess. But um, so the but the main point is is that like you know it seems like once Corey Crawford was out, um, the Blackhawks just lost their mojo um, and everything. But, um, you know, what's weird is I feel like, I feel like the Blackhawks might be a sneaky team to, uh, make some noise this year. Um, it looks like Corey Crawford will at least play some part of this season. I don't know, 
Um, I mean, they do have Cam Ward, so I don't, I'm not too confident in him, but um, I feel like once, just because of the fact that once Corey Crawford was injured, then, it, like, when, when he was healthy, they were really good. Um, I feel like that's just a sign that, like, once they have the right goalie, um, they can they they can start to be a threat again. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily count the Blackhawks out. Um, and Patrick Kane even had a, a pretty good season, even still. He had 76 points in 82 games. And the rest of the team kind of just stunk. Um, but that's like... But that's still pretty good for for a guy like for for a guy like Patrick Kane, um, when he's like the best player by far on the team. Yeah, no no doubt about it. When when you look at someone like Patrick Kane and what he provides, it, you know it's 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 definitely good to see that your superstar players are still playing like superstar players. But the problem is is he's really the only one coming to play. Like, Jonathan Taves, the wear and tear, I think, is starting to get to him a little bit. I think it got to him last year. Um, And maybe we saw hints of it in years past as well. But you look at Duncan Keith and Brent Seabrook, uh, last year was far from a success for both of those guys. Brandon Saad, I don't think he's looked like nearly the same kind of player that he was uh, before he left Chicago for Columbus in that trade. So, uh, it, it's it's not that I don't think Chicago can do it. It's just that you look at the rest of the division, and the fact is the Blackhawks got 76 points last year as a team. Right. You look at teams like St. Louis and Dallas, who got around like 90 points, and that wasn't good enough to make a playoffs. So if you can't make the playoffs with, like, 90 or more points, um, how much better are you going to be this year when you look at what St. Louis has done, when you look at um, what Dallas has done with uh, some of their depth pieces, when you look at um, Nashville and Winnipeg? And we're going to talk a lot about those teams and what they've done, but Chicago was one of those teams where they, for the second straight offseason, they didn't really do anything to shake up their team. They just added a bunch of pieces. Like you said, they added Cam Ward. They added Brandon Manning and Brandon Davidson to their defense yeah. for like a year or two. But like, really, is that going to make their team any better? I don't think it will. So obviously, they're going to be a better team with Corey Crawford. I will say that. If Corey Crawford is healthy and producing, this team has a shot to at least make the playoffs. But... The problem is he's still got symptoms to shake off. When he gets back on the ice, you have no idea how good Corey Crawford is going to be. And I, the good news is that Cam Ward was able to put up pretty decent uh, numbers as far as win-loss record goes. Um, he th- I think he went 23-14 and something like that. He, 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 he played pretty admirable hockey for a team that had an average defense. But... I wouldn't say that Chicago's defense is better than Carolina's. I think it's around the same level. So, again, I don't really know how much better Cam Ward is going to be compared to last year. So, when I consider that and when I consider Crawford's health, um, I think the bigger question is, is Joel Quenville going to have a job at the end of the year? 
uh, Steve? Yeah, I'm here. Oh, I, I thought you just, I didn't know what happened there. I, was like, no, I no, thought no. you cut out. No, I, I, I just ended my point. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right, I guess I'll make a note there. But yeah, no, I I guess, I don't know, maybe I, I'm a little bit more optimistic than you are, it appears, about the Blackhawks. But I feel like, I don't know, I feel like once, like it's just hard to, just knowing their history or recent history about how they can just like turn it on at any second. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that it's kind of dissipated the last couple of years, but um, I, I still feel like they can just turn it on because they still have Patrick Kane, uh, like they still have Corey Crawford, they still have Jonathan Taze. Um, I mean, if they're going to do that, like, you know, if they're going to make a run, I wouldn't, I agree with you, I don't think they're going to make the playoffs, um, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if they, like, maybe beat out, like, or, like, they're in seventh, like, like they're in fifth place, or, uh, yeah, they're in fifth place or sixth place. It, it's just so tough yeah. because that division is so tight. There's yeah. very little breathing room already as it is. Yeah. And you, you look at what uh, St. Louis has done with their offense. Like I said, you know, adding someone like Ryan O'Reilly to help out their power play. Chicago didn't do that. Right. Yeah, and I think that's also what it's going to come down to is there's Cam Ward. How good can he be when uh, Corey Crawford figures things out? Um, I know he was on, you know, he was on Carolina last year, um, and he was, he was okay. He had like a 909 save percentage, but then when, you know, but now he's going to Chicago, which should theoretically have a better defense. Um, so maybe, uh, maybe his stats get boosted just, uh, or maybe he's boosted because of that. Um, and then you also, like, just their defense is also going to be a thing. Like, it can Duncan Keith, like, Duncan Keith can't be, can't be, get two goals again. That's just absurd. He had 187 shots on goal, and he only had two goals on that. That's, like, so unlucky there. Uh, Yeah. You know, it's one of those things where the two best defense on your team are getting older, and the rest are just, in my opinion, average to suspect. Right. They they, they don't blow me away by by any means. Compared to previous Chicago defenses, it's not that good. Well, but my point more is that, like, Duncan Keith had, like, he can't be getting two goals. Like, it's, it's, pretty unlikely that he's going to get two goals again. He's he's probably, if he you would, continues you to shoot. You would think his luck's going to turn around. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, um, and then you have Yoki Haru um, in the mix. Uh, so he could be something, and he's another defenseman there. So he could, uh, he could potentially be a, a guy for them um, to take maybe Seabrook's place or something like that. But, um, yeah, no, I mean, I think defense is their big worry, but, like, Nick, Nick Schmaltz, uh, Debrinkat, Kane, um, those are kind of like solid players, um, and they had decent seasons. Brandon Saad and Jonathan Taze also need to bounce back too. So yeah, um, I, I also think to your point about young guys, guys like uh, Schmaltz yeah. and Debrinkat, I think both need to have big ears for Chicago to make some noise. Yeah, I guess that was kind of my point. Um, all right, yeah. let's uh, let's go to the Colorado here. Uh, right. They had. They made a 
a lot of moves, actually. Uh, they were surprising because they, you know, we all thought that they were going to be the worst team last year um, because they had the franchise, like, literally the worst record uh, post-lockout two seasons ago. But it seems like they uh, kind of figured things out because uh, uh, Nick McKinnon was turned it, turned it on. Um, and so did Miko Rantanen, and so did Gabriel Landeskog. Um, but uh, they added Philip Grubauer, Ian Cole, and Matt Calvert uh, were the big notable um, additions. They, uh, However, they subtracted Blake Como, Jonathan Bernier, um, Niel Yakupov. I, just, I mean, I guess he wasn't necessarily a subtraction, but um, he was the first overall pick, but it looks like he's out of the league now. Um, he did prove to be a good source of secondary scoring for them, I think. True, true. Um, and then um, and then some rookies to watch. Uh, Vladislav Kamenov, um, who they got in the Duchesne trade um, uh, from Nashville. Um, it looks like he's going to be playing some somewhat. Um, and then I think there's... No, I guess there's not really... Anyone else who would be considered a rookie? I guess Tyson Jost, but I don't think he's considered a rookie anymore. Um, so, um, and then, so Colorado finished fourth um, in the division. They had 40, they went 43, 30, and 9. Um, McKinnon was their, their leading scorer with 97 points in 74 games. Rantanen had 84 points in 81 games. Landis got gets 62 points in 78 games. Um, and then uh, Barry had 57 points in 68 games. And then that's where it starts to trail off. Then you have guys like Alex Kerfoot, who had 40 points. Carl Soderberg, who had 37. Blake, uh, Blake Como, who's no longer on the league um, or on the team. Um, so he had 30 points. So that's that's going to be an issue. I guess the, the big concern here is uh, their goaltending situation. Because Varlamov was decent when he was healthy. Um, mm-hmm. He had uh, 24... He went 24-16-6. and six. Um, um, He had a 9-20 save percentage and a 2.68 GAA. Um, and then what happened was Jonathan Bernier played in 37 games. Um, and he also was pretty decent, too. Uh, although not as good as Varlamov, he had a 9.13 save percentage, a GAA of 2.85, but he went 19.13 and three. Um, so, so there's that to to uh, consider. Um, but then I was looking this up here because I was looking up stats for Antti Ranta, but because uh, mm-hmm. I heard that he was really good in the second half. Um, so I looked up the stats for Grubauer as well because you know Grubauer was pretty, you know down the stretch for Washington he was um, you know he was the goalie that they would he was the go-to goalie where Holtby was struggling so they put in Grubauer Grubauer after January so from the month of January to March Grubauer had or the end of the season I guess you could say. Grubauer had a 9.31 save percentage and a 2.14 GAA in 22 games. Now, granted, this is in Washington, so they have a slightly better defense than uh, they have here. But 
I'm in Colorado, but it's still pretty impressive when you think about it because that's 22 games. Um, and then another thing to consider is uh, Eric Johnson. Um, he's like one of their better defensive defensemen, all around guy, I guess too. Um, but he had uh, he was injured for part of the season, but when he was healthy, he had 25 points in 62 games. But like he's kind of what makes the defense tick, and um, um, him and Tyson Berry. So if you don't have those two, I feel like uh, like those two have to be healthy. Um, but there is a issue with Eric Johnson because he's not always healthy. And, and we remember how big of a deal it was when uh, Eric Johnson got hurt towards the end of the regular season and how that might have impacted them in the playoffs. Like We, we were making the argument that if Eric Johnson was, was there for that series, um, maybe Colorado actually beats Nashville in round one because Nashville wasn't really at their best then. But, uh, yeah, you, you, you look at uh, what they've been able to do with their defense, you know, keep around Patrick Nemeth for another year, that's good. They add Ian Cole, um, but um, when, when, you, when you look at their defense as a whole, it's, it's pretty much Tyson Berry and Eric Johnson, you're right, that is uh, the glue for their defense. It's like, I, I like guys like Sam Gerrard, I think they're going to provide a lot to the table, uh, same with Ian Cole, same with Patrick Nemeth. But if it's in a top four role, uh, um, I think you're kind of throwing them to the wolves a little bit there. I think you need guys like Eric Johnson and Tyson Berry to kind of uh, uh, allow you to play your role. I think Ian Cole is, a, um, if he's not a number four, he's a number five defenseman, but I think he provides a lot in that role. But I don't, I don't classify him as a top two defenseman on any team. I think that's just putting too much pressure on him. So um, you're right. I think the health of Barry and uh, Eric Johnson are going to be critical to this team. I think uh, to an extent their goaltending, yes, is going to also be key because when you look at guys like Jonathan Bernier and Andrew Hammond, and I, I know you're saying, well, Andrew Hammond, like, you know, he had that 2015 run, but he, um you kind of wonder if you lose a bit of character, though, when you lose those two guys, more so from Jonathan's side, because in a positive fit, um, Jonathan Bernie is fully capable of stepping in and playing the role of a good goalie. Like, we saw it in Anaheim just two years ago. Uh, we saw it in Colorado last year. Grubauer hasn't gone through as much as Bernier has in his career, so maybe you won't see him reach his potential in year one with the Avs. But what if Farlamov gets her, Grubauer is thrusted into that role? Can he handle it? Yeah. That is the biggest question for me, unless on the offense to maintain what they built from last year. Um, so, uh, like, like I, I've, I, I'm more concerned about Grubauer's performance than I am about McKinnon and the Landis Cog, and can they continue to build on last year? Or, or even Ranton, and I think Ranton and McKinnon and Landis Cog have something going for sure. Yeah. But uh, it, it's it's like you said, the defense and the goaltending are what made me hesitant to um, put Colorado in the playoffs last year, and I think it's it's still a concern now. I, I think they're they're basically the Dallas Stars, but not the Dallas Stars. They have the same issues as Dallas does. Yeah, yeah, I think the the that's true. I guess um, that is a good lead into the Dallas Stars. But I just want to make one point. 
Uh, I think yeah. um, there are two issues with Colorado that I feel like uh, that uh, keeps them from going up another level in you know in terms of NHL tiers. Um, mm. One is Grubauer and Varlamov. This is going to be the first year that Grubauer may have a lot more starts than he's used to. So we don't know exactly how he's going to be. Could be a situation like, you know, Carolina um, with Scott Darling, or it could be like a situation like Cam Talbot or Anti Ranta. So that's just something we don't necessarily know um, yeah. until until it happens. Um, and then the other point is is that you mentioned that we have McKinnon, Rantanen, and Landeskog. Um, Where's the depth? Like, those are the only three guys there. Um, so, mm-hmm. if, like, any of the, like, those guys are definitely, like, the top lines in the league, for sure, kind of like in Boston, but they don't really have other guys, other, I guess, like, Tyson Yost, like, uh, Tyson, of, Tyson Yost, JT Comfer are kind of the guys that I point yeah. to that are going to be good depth guys, and, and Chris, they... They they have guys like Matt Calvert and Matt Nieto, but they're they're more of a grittier yeah. um, bottom six forward, not so much as a right. scoring bottom six forward and, like Yost and Comfort. And Kerfoot had his moments at times, but like I don't know, I don't necessarily feel like their depth is as strong as a lot of other teams. So I feel like in, in the division, yeah. yeah. I would say so that. I feel like once the, if they make a trade, maybe to add more depth to their forward group, then I. Th- think that they might actually be a legitimate team. Uh, but for yeah. now, it's just like they're just a one-line team. Because, like, if you stop yeah. the McKinnon line, you're, you know, you're good. <laughs> you, you don't have to do anything else. So, um, so I, th- I mean, I, of course you have to score, but, like, that's that's about it. So, yeah. um, so I, I think that's just their biggest weakness is just that they're a one-line team. Um, yeah. All right, let's go to Dallas. Uh, so their notable additions, um, there was actually a lot of, uh, I just saw that there's a lot of waiver claims today, but they're all uh, teams on the Eastern Conference, so we'll talk about that next week. But one of them was Remy Ellie, who is a notable subtraction. Uh, Buffalo got him. Um, but anyways, uh, so notable additions, uh, Valerie Nichushkin, if you count him as an addition, because... Um, he was really just, um, he was an addition, uh, cause he was on KHL and then he came back, um, and Dallas still owns his rights. So, um, I think it had a lot to do with Lindy Ruff not being on the team and then you have Radulov, his, you know, his other KHL friend there. And, um, so now, so now Nishchushkin's back, uh, Anton Kudobin, um, is also added in Blake Komu. Um, and then some notable subtractions, Dan Hughes, Carrie Lennon. Um, I think Carrie Lennon's still a free agent somewhere. Um, yeah, um, Hugh, Hugh Dobin's probably taking over Lennon's job. Yeah, well, Lennon, not, let, not let, probably, let, that's true. Yes. I think we can say. Um, and then Antoine Roussel is gone. And then, as I just mentioned, Remy Ellie, who was claimed on waivers just today. So... Um, and then some rookies to watch. Some uh, Miro Heiskanen will probably play. Um, so he was he was an exciting thing because uh, if you remember way back when when the 
stars were talking about get, maybe getting Eric Carlson. Um, <clears throat> the Senators wanted um, Heiskanen, and the stars uh, just didn't want to do it, and that's when the trade talks fell apart because, um, and it, I mean, it does show they were kind of stupid in a way because it's like, you know, Carlson is good and Heiskanen isn't proven. But it also kind of shows how much they actually believe in Heiskanen to the point where they had a franchise-changing defenseman if they only traded this guy away and they uh, they couldn't do it. So uh, so that just shows to how much they believe in Miro Heiskanen more than anything, although I think we both agree that I think they probably should have they should have done that. Um, but, um, anyways, uh, they finished just outside the playoffs. Um, well, not just outside the playoffs. They had 42, they won 40, the record was 42, 32, and 8, um, with 92 points, but that still puts them in 6 in the Central Division, so that just shows how crazy the Central Division is. Well, um, yeah, I mean, if you look at uh, the Central Division standings, Colorado had 95 points. Yep. So Dallas was only three points worse than Colorado. Colorado was a playoff team. Yeah. Um, Jamie, uh, so Jamie Benn led the team in points with 79. Um, and then Sagan had 78 points. Uh, Radulov had 72 points. Um, and Klingberg had 67 points. And then this is where, talking about depth, uh, this is where they start to go downhill fast. Because then you have the next closest is Yanmark, who had 34 points, Faxa, who had 33, and Devin Shore, who had 32. So um, so that's like, those guys need to be a little bit better there. Um, also, Ben Bishop, who was injured for like half this, the second half of the season, but when he was healthy, he was decent enough. Um, he had, uh, he was 26, 17, and 5 with a save percentage of 916 and a GAA of 2.49. Um, and then, um, yeah, uh, so the thing that's interesting with the Stars here is that they have a new coach now. Uh, Ken Hitchcock was only there for one year. Um, it seemed kind of like the stars were kind of tired of him or just didn't work out uh, towards the end of the year, and that's they just started playing poorly towards that. Um, but now they have Jim Montgomery, who's the coach for Denver. Um, he kind of seems to be very much like a, he uh, values defense, or from what I've read is he values defense a lot. He values hits, block shots, all that kind of stuff. Um, and he also... Um, you know, he's, he's a college coach, so he might be able to help all these young players like Miro Heiskanen, uh, and get into, or even Roddick Faxa or Julius Honka, um, as well. So, um, he may be able to help those guys, uh, develop into an actual NHL players, um, in the league. So, uh, that should be, that's kind of like the true wild card is like what, what to make of this college coach of, uh, Jim Montgomery. But, um, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, so Steve, what do you think? Well, this, this, this team might be one of the few where I expect, um, 
to be in the postseason where they weren't last year. Um, like you said, Nachushkin is a, a, a depth guy that can help them. Blake Como, same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Roman Polak on defense, who dove in between the pipes to help out Bishop. And, you know, you, you can say that, you know, the team kind of stopped playing in, in the final month. But that Ben Bishop injury in the final month of the season, I think, really broke the camels back for them last year. Like, that's when the real that's when the wheels started to fall off is when Ben Bishop got hurt. Um, and they went on like a six, seven game losing streak or however long of a losing streak it was. That pretty much ended their season right there. Right. So the health of Ben Bishop. Um, the play of Anton Udobin, it's definitely going to be a big factor. But is all of what they did, all of the depth pieces that they've added to help make their team better, is all of that going to be enough? Because, um, you know, you, you look at those depth guys, you look at guys like Matthias Janmark and Steven Johns, who they were able to keep around uh, during the offseason, Um they, they did lose some occasional grit, uh, scoring and everyday grit in Antoine Roussel, but for the most part, the same lineup is in the mix. Jason Spezza, his age is going up. His offensive output is not. It's going down. So it, it might be good that they're getting a lot of positive news with some of their young players like Adam Maskerin, who um, was a draft re-entry, and, and they got him in the fourth round. And, of course, Heisken and... Uh, has got a bright future. Ty Della Andrea has got a bright future as well. None of those guys, maybe maybe Heiskanen, none of those guys I don't think are going to be playing meaningful, impactful NHL hockey this year. I highly doubt that's going to well, happen. Well, Heiskanen will be, but yeah. Yeah, but uh, I'm also saying they shouldn't be rushed in that quickly because, right. yeah, like I mentioned when they re-signed Tyler Sagan, that kept them in one of the must-watch team's conversation in the Western Conference. That kept them in it. Did it make them a better team? No. It it, it made sure that they were still a contending team. And now what they're going to have to get used to is a new coach with a new way of thinking in all sorts of different areas. I can see their team game improving in short order, but you don't see too many first-year head coaches make a ton of waves in the NHL. We've seen coaches in year one do a lot of good things with their new team, but they've been shown the ropes first, even as an assistant coach. And and like Phil Housley's a, a good example of a first-year NHL head coach that's been a good assistant, but has had to go through some growing pains before you know you can you can really say I'm expecting big things from this guy and his team. So can a guy who has never coached in this level of hockey before, not even as an assistant coach? take his team to the playoffs in his first year, in my opinion, that's a very tough ask for a team that's probably still going to rely on their power play, that's probably still going to rely on good goaltending. And uh, with all things considered, they're going to have to do that in arguably the toughest division in hockey. So a lot is going against Dallas this year. Uh, So... I, I can see them being a wild card contender, and I can see them being in a race um, for the final wild card spot in the final week of the regular season, maybe in the final days even. But um, I'm not stamping them as a playoff team just because um, they haven't really added 
like Chicago, they haven't really added another piece to take them to that next level. They've added some depth pieces, which is good. But um, as a team, I don't think they've gotten abundantly better. Yeah, I guess that's fair. I yeah, I don't know if they're necessarily their depth is great still. Um, I I do wonder how how this coach is. I think it's just they're like a true wild card situation because they could be. Like, it wouldn't be surprising if they made the playoffs, but it also wouldn't be surprising if they like are competing for a lottery. You know. Or trying to get Jack Hughes or something like that. So, um, I wouldn't go that far, but uh, they're 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 on the fringe of a wild card team and just out of but the playoffs. Like, I know. I mean, slam, I could, they're not a slam dunk playoff team. True. I guess maybe it's a little bit absurd, but I think like I could see like like worst case scenario, like a lot of their guys gets injured. This guy is Montgomery isn't really a good coach and all that stuff. I could, you know, I could see it happening where they are like one of the worst teams in the league, or they have another top ten pick, kind of thing. I, so. I, I could, to your point about injuries, I can definitely see injuries. I, I think John Montgomery is going to be a good coach in this yep. league. What I do see is like we saw in Columbus a couple of years ago, where they had lots of expectations, but injuries just absolutely wrecked them, right? And they ended up being like a bottom five team in the league. I think yeah. I could definitely see that happening, and. If they get Jack Hughes, you know what? That yeah. They're instantly a better team if they get Jack Hughes in the lottery. So maybe doing bad this year wouldn't be the worst thing in the world, but there every single year there's a top pick that's just like, oh, imagine if we had this guy on our team. Right, that's true. Um, I mean, Colorado could get Jack Hughes, and they could also make the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, sense, um, man. I don't like that vision, but it could I'm sorry, I'm going to keep on mentioning this every time. <laughs> You know what? You know what? I guess we deserve it, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I, every I guess time we deserve it at this point. Um, the uh, and, and the one last point before I uh, we leave, um, I am curious how they uh, do, how like Julius Honka uh, performs because like a couple of years yeah. ago he was kind of heralded as this offensive defenseman, and then this year he has four points in forty two games. Um, but, like, he only had 13 minutes on ice on average. So, like, it kind of just shows that, like, if he maybe, like, just, like, gets more ice time, maybe there's a chance that he can thrive, um, especially under this new coach. So, um, and, so and maybe that's yeah. a maybe that's a good thing that John Montgomery's the coach there. Maybe right. maybe maybe the trust in the new players is going to bring some rewards exactly. in that respect. And then the other one is... Uh, Jason Spezza, speaking of uh, senator, former spe- senators, but like, um, you know, he was, uh, he had 26 points in 78 games, but he also only had 13 t- time on ice on average. So like, but like, he's by far their second best center behind Tyler Sagan. So I am curious if maybe he can bounce back somehow, because it's not like he was injured a lot. Um, but he just wasn't as good um, as we know he could be. So I, I feel like he has potential to break out with this new coach as well. So I, I think yes, but I also think with his age, I think even if he has a good year, he's still running out of time. And it would not surprise me if he doesn't bounce back this year at all. Yeah, maybe. I guess the, the, there is that the 
possibility, but I don't know. I I could I could see it po- possibly happening where he. Yeah, it's back. not like every single season prediction or right. point of analysis that we make is gonna pan out exactly right. the way we think it's going to. I mean, we're always either wrong or right, you know. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Half of the stuff we're going to be wrong. Half the stuff we're going to be right, or maybe ten percent of the stuff we'll be right on. It's it that that's that's what makes season predictions so fun is because you never really know what's going to happen until you actually play the games. Yeah, it's true. I I I, I just feel like I just noticed that he has thirteen minutes on ice. It still seems kind yeah, of crazy. That, so. That's pretty low for Jason Spezza. Yeah. So that's what that. that's why I'm like thinking like well I don't know that seems a little odd I know he's old but for a second but, best center he's only getting thir- an average of 13 minutes yeah, yeah. I know he's yeah. old and he's 35 years old but like that's still still a little odd um, yeah so uh, so let's go to Minnesota um, but yeah you're right there there is a potential where he doesn't necessarily bounce back but um, mm-hmm. um, all right so Minnesota Wild. Uh, here they added Eric Fair and JT Brown. Um, I guess also Matt Reed is another one, um, and Andrew Hammond. I I feel obliged to to mention that too. But uh, they didn't all. They also didn't really subtract anyone either too much, other than Tyler Ennis. Um, but there are some rookies to watch. Uh, Jordan Greenway. Uh, Luke Coonan, if he's healthy, could uh, Cunnan could be uh, could be kind of like an X factor there. Um, but um, yeah, it seems like the Wild didn't do much when they probably should have. Um, you have Eric Stahl, who um, who's finally showing his potential at the ripe old age of thirty two. Um, actually, he's, no, he's 33 years old. I was so close. I thought he was a little bit older, actually. Um, but he had 42 goals and 76 points. Um, he was their, the best player on the team, um, in that regard. Um, Mikhail Granlin, um, had another stellar season with 67 points in 77 games. Jason Zucker had a breakout year with 64 points in 82 games. Um, then you have Ryan Sutter, who had 51 points in 78 games. Matt Dumba had 50 points in 82 games. Um, and then it starts to trail off. I do want to mention that Jared Spurgeon had 37 points, and then he got injured, um, so he missed about 20 games. So he had 37 points in 61 games. And then also um, two other ones. Nino Nitterreiter, um, he, was, he also had injury history. Um, and uh, he missed about 20 games, but he had 32 points in 63 games, so that's not bad either. And then you also have a guy like Zach Parise, speaking of injury history, um, he seems to like always get injured. Um, but yeah, when he was healthy, he had 24 points in 42 games. Um, and then you have a, a workhorse in Devin Dubnik, who went 35-16-7, and seven. kind of underrated because he's Probably in the top ten of goalies, but he never gets heralded as that because he's, you know, he's in Minnesota and they're not like they're kind of like a eh team, I guess. Um, but he had a nine eighteen save percentage and a, a GAA of two point five two. So so there's that. But um, yeah, it's I, I feel like the Wild of of all these teams, I feel like the Wild are the teams that are on a downturn. Um, it's not like 
you know, they're, like, they just have a bunch of old guys, Eric Stahl, um, Ryan Suter, Miku Koivu, um, even, like, Dubnik isn't that young either, um, and they don't really have, like, a, Zach Parise is another one, so it's not like they have necessarily, like, a young core group where you feel like, like, even if their team is bad, it's like, oh, like, we have the these players to look forward to. It's like, like eh, I don't know. Um, Mikkel Granlin, I guess, is twenty something, right? So you have that, but I don't know. He's twenty six. So, um, but it's still, I don't know. I feel like the Wild are going to be one of those teams that's going to just take a downturn uh, this year. Um, but they did make the playoffs last year. Uh, they went 45, 26, and 11. Uh, that puts them, they did get 101 points. So I may be way off on this. But um, I, I just wouldn't be surprised if the Wild um, just start to uh, be a, like a routinely, like a lottery team kind of thing. I wouldn't go as far to say that they're a lottery team, but... I do think they were the Blackhawks um, during the 2017 offseason, similar to what the Blackhawks were back then. I think that was a while this year. Getting a lot of death pieces, nothing that really shook up their team. They did buy out Tyler Ennis, as you mentioned, but you know, you're getting guys like JT Brown, Matt Hendricks, Greg Patteron on a three-year deal, Eric Fair, Matt Reed. Like I said, the exception of Patteron, all of those are one-year deals. So that's... That's basically another way of saying short-term solutions. They're trying to keep long-term assets like Jason Zucker and Matt Dumba around, which they did this offseason. In the previous two offseasons, they did the same with Nino Niederreiter. They did the same with Devin Dubnik. They did the same with Mikhail Granlund. And, hey, in a little while, Eric Stahl's going to need a new contract, and they might not be able to get him on that bargain deal they were able to get him on two or three years ago because – Back then, he didn't have his complete scoring touch. Now it seems that he's found it again. He was a 30-40 to goal scorer last year for them. And all of this is making it more and more complex uh, to keep keep, um, their core guys around because you have a pair of albatross contracts. I think it's fair to call them albatross contracts now. uh, In Ryan Tudor and Zach Parise. And it's not to say that both those guys are bad. It's both those guys are injury prone. And you look at Suter, he's still recovering from his injury. Zach Parise, for the most of last season, the, the first three or four months, he was recovering from his injury. And, you know, with back problems, you, you don't know what to expect uh, moving forward. So now the question becomes, are we entering the last of the good Jason Zucker, the good Zach Parise? Because if the answer is yes... This is a very big year for Minnesota, especially when you look at someone like Bruce Boudreaux, who has never had a good track record of playoff hockey when it comes to round one, especially. Like, every single year, this guy is walking around with that thing over his head, you can't get out of round one. You can't get out of round one. And hey, look, they go up against Winnipeg, unfortunate draw for them, and they're out in five doesn't matter how close the games are, they lose in five. So uh, I, I definitely think with the GM situation there, getting a new face uh, to run the team, 
I think it kind of serves as a message to Bruce Boudreaux. It's just like, hey, we're not afraid to change our direction in the GM cha- in the GM chair. You know, if we're not going where we need to go in a year or two, you might be next. So, um, I, I also think coupled with those two bad contracts, the the aging core that they have, um, and the fact that. Like I said so many times, this division is one of the toughest in hockey, and a lot of other teams have done things to improve their rosters or keep their rosters as good as they were last year. Like, National Winnipeg didn't really do a lot to improve their team, and I still think they're better than Minnesota's right now. So, at the end of the day, you've got to find ways to win hockey games, and uh, Minnesota hasn't done that when it's mattered in the past, and that's going to have to change this year. This year needs to be a statement year for them. Yeah, I th- that's a good point. I think I, I guess you're right. They're not like a lottery team right now, but I I don't think they'll make the playoffs. Mostly because when you look at so they're 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 not better than Nashville or Winnipeg. Uh, I think we can both agree. But like St. Louis did a lot, yeah. Dallas did a lot, and so did Colorado, um, and maybe Chicago. You know, they could sneak in somehow. So I feel like Minnesota of these teams. Minnesota didn't do enough where, like, they're not up to the point where, like, Winnipeg and Nashville didn't really do a ton either, but they're not, they're at the point where they don't have to do a a ton. Exactly. But, like, Minnesota didn't do a ton, and they probably should have. So, um, and then all the other teams in their division did, so I feel like, that just cause that's cause for concern because it's like, well, why didn't you do anything? Why didn't you even try to get John Tavares? Why didn't you even try to get um, Eric Carlson or something like that? But um, can you imagine John Tavares on Minnesota Wild now? But uh, so so I and then especially when you consider that you have Zach Carize, Ryan Suter, who are on a crazy contracts, but they're also injury prone. Um, I mean, like, Matt Dumba and Jared Spurgeon uh, should be good. Um, you know, those are good young players. And uh, Nino Niederreiter should probably bounce back. And Granlin, you have something in them. But, you know, are you expecting, like, 40 goals from Eric Stahl again? Are you expecting Miko Koivu to uh, to continue his, like, his... Uh, uh, he had 45 points in 82 games. Um, so, like... That's, or like, even are you expecting Jason Zucker to be, have 64 points in 82 games? So that's 30 plus goals, by the way. Yeah, 30 plus goals. So that's like, I feel like there's so much, I don't like, there's so much what ifs to this team, right? Yeah, where, where I'm like, and Ryan Suter, you mentioned Ryan Suter, like, and his health. Right people forget that when he's healthy this guy is one of the biggest ice time loggers amongst defensemen in the entire league not to mention his team how long is he going to keep that up for i mean he is very good so that 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 is that is fair um when he's healthy um it's just that's the concern but i feel like i feel like colorado st louis and maybe even dallas kind of usurp minnesota um in the offseason so um but i don't know (laughs) We'll see. They're they're one of those like weird teams where you're like, I don't know what to make of this team. Um, I, I think I think it's a now or never type of year, like it was for St. Louis a couple of yeah. years ago, where it's just like if you're gonna win with this core of players, you got to do it right now. 
or, right. or at least make a deep playoff run. And, and St. Louis, to their credit, did that. Minnesota's got to do the same. Right. So speaking of St. Louis, uh, that's going to be the next team we're talking about. They made a lot of moves. Uh, so they bring in, and what's crazy is <clears throat> they weren't even that bad of a team to begin with. Because last season, what happened was they traded uh, Paul Stasny um, at the end of the deadline, um, and then they ended up. <clears throat> um, so then they uh, this year they ended up getting Ryan O'Reilly uh, through a trade. Uh, they got David Perron through free agency. They picked up Patrick Maroon, who's a homegrown player for them. They also signed Tyler Bozak. They signed Chad Johnson. And all they gave up was Carter Hutton, Patrick Berglund, Vladimir Sabaka, Tage Thompson, Kyle Brodziak, and uh, Dimitri Zyaskin, who just got claimed off waivers. But um, And so they aren't, um, so they aren't like, you know, they almost made the playoffs this year. And they added, like, one of the best two-way forwards in the game, David Perron, who had a career year last year in Vegas, um, who had, like, 50 points or so. Patrick Maroon can, you know, uh, fun fact, Patrick Maroon played for both the last two Hart Trophy winners last year because he was on the do- uh, the Devils and the Oilers. Um, and then you have Tyler Bozak, who's a good depth guy. So they, like, you know, they kind of, like, overhauled in a way, um, but they also, you know didn't. Um, and to top it all off, they have um, Rob Thomas. Um, no, he's not the Matchbox 20 guy. Uh, from there. But uh, he was their 2017 draft pick um, and he, you know, he's had a lot of hype uh, this year um, to, because he's, a, he's another center, so he's probably going to play somewhat. Jordan Cairo may, uh, may be a force here. Uh, Ville Huso, who I don't know too much about, um, but I, I, I have here that he could be uh, he could be the backup. Um, and then uh, you might also have Robbie Fabry, um, who is um, although he it looks like he's injured again, unfortunately. But he had like around fifty points before he got injured two years ago. Then he gets injured all of last season. Um, and then he's back, but now it looks like he may, <laughs> may be even longer to see him again. But, um, yeah, it's it's going to be... Uh, so they, they had an overhaul, and uh, so they almost made the playoffs, as I mentioned. They had 40... They went 44, 32, and 6. Um, and uh, they the leading point score was uh, Braden Shen with 70 points. Um, then you had Tarasenko, who had 66 points, although he kind of got injured towards the end of the year. Um, although it says here he only missed, he only played 80 games, so I guess he didn't get injured a ton. But yeah, he had 33 goals and 33 assists, no big deal. Um, Jaden Schwartz, um, when healthy, he had 59 points in 62 games. Petrangelo had 54 points in 78 games. Steen had four, this is where it starts to get kind of a, a little bit less uh, exciting. But uh, Steen had 46 points in 76 games. Uh, Stasny, when he was there, had 40 points in 63 games. 
Pareko had um, 35 points in 82 games, um, so that's not bad. Um, and then, as for goalies, this is going to be the biggest question mark. So they don't have Carter Hutton, um, who kind of was was dominant um, for them um, for 32 games. But then Jake Allen, who struggled a lot, um, he went 27, 25, and 3, um, with a 906 save percentage and a 2.75 GAA. Um, so I feel like this is what it's going to come down to is, um, I, they have a lot more, they have a lot better depth. Um, they may even have a better team, um, because of all like Ryan O'Reilly and, uh, especially Ryan O'Reilly and, uh, David Perron. But then you also, uh, like, but then you have Jake Allen, um, and even with like Pedrangelo and Pareko in front of him, he still wasn't up to par, you know. So um, I feel like that's what this season's all going to come down to: is like they're good up front, great on defense as well, but their goalie situation. Can Jake Allen be that guy? And that's. That I'm not so sure about. Yeah, I think we're both in consensus there. Um, I don't know if you mentioned uh, David Perron or, or not too much in depth, but he's going to be an interesting case because yep. he is coming off a career year. He's coming off one of the best years he's ever had in this league on an expansion team, playing on the top line at times, second line as well. But... <laughs> Like, there was so much that was going on with Vegas. You were just wondering, how much of a fluke is this? And um, I think in a perfect situation, if he can find that perfect situation in St. Louis, David Perron's going to be a nice addition to them. But putting up 60 to 70 points a year, (laughs) I think that's a bit of a stretch for a guy like David Perron. I think he's more of, like, around 50 to 60 at best. But... uh, Last year, like I said, he, he kind of overachieved like a lot of people in Vegas did. Tyler Bozak um, didn't really have much of a role on the Leafs last year because, you know, the Leafs had so many good talent. So what's his role going to be on St. Louis? Can he find that offensive stride uh, like he did in his earlier years in Toronto? Um and, you know, of course, guys like Patrick Maroon, they, they provide some scoring, they provide a bit of speed, but they also provide a bit of grit. So, um, guys like Patrick Maroon, uh, I think, are going to make this team better. Kim Costin, Nikita Soshnikov, I think, are also going to be good bottom six additions uh, to their forward. So, like you said, their their offense is looking good. Jay Bomister, I still think, can play. He can still offer a lot. Joel Edmondson and Vince Dunn are going to help out their defense as well. But you go back to Jake Allen. Like, Carter Hutton is not available to help him now. Um, Chad Johnson, I would classify him as a solid, capable backup. But starting goaltender, he is not, in my opinion. So, Jake Allen has got to show everyone what he can do. He needs to be the backbone of this team. And he's got to do it each and every single night because... Like you said, it doesn't matter how good their offense is or how good Alex Petrangelo in the defense uh, can be the entire season. 
the entire reason for this team not going the distance was their goaltending, whether it was Jake Allen or Brian Elliott or Yaroslav Halak in previous years. And when they went to the conference finals, you look at the goaltending they got from Brian Elliott. Nothing short of spectacular. Yeah. And in 2017, Jake Allen showed us how good he could be if he got on a serious roll. And I'm confident he can take it to the next level. But until he does, this is a wildcard team. Uh, yeah, I agree. I think it all, uh, getting back to David Perron, I, he had 66 points in 70 games, um, but it should be noted that he had uh, his average time on ice was 17 minutes and 49 seconds. Um, yeah. I don't think he's going to get that kind of average time on ice in St. Louis, just considering how many players they have on the team. So I would be surprised if he gets even 66 points again. But, um, yeah. the, like, I'm looking here on Daily Faceoff, and it looks like he's not even in the top two uh, lines, which is absurd, which is crazy. So they have Ryan O'Reilly, Tarasenko, and Maroon as the top line. Sure. And then they have Shen, uh, Schwartz, and, get this, Kairou um, on, this, on the second line. Yeah, he's another young guy to watch out for. Everyone talks about Robert Thomas. Jordan Cairo had an amazing OHL season last year. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's true. And then, um, but like apparently they've been trying this this line out on in the preseason, um, and they've worked out well. Um, and then you have Ty- Tyler Bozak with Perron and Alex Steen, which isn't a bad third line. But, yeah, uh, but it's a third line. It's a third right? line, right? So that means exactly. you're not getting primary ice time. Exactly. So, uh, so I think that's the that's the issue with Perron is his deployment um, and how they do that. But um, yeah, I, I I think I think we're both in agreement that St. Louis um, is uh, you know it's it's all it's all dependent on Jake Allen. Um, I just now, realized um, you meant uh, uh, while we did mention St. Louis, we did not mention Nashville. So should we tackle them before winning? Yeah, no, I was about to say because I realized I skipped Nashville unintentionally. Um, okay. <laughs> I, well, they, well, we're going to talk about the probably the top two teams. Yeah, in the division. I know I'm so saving the so best well. for last. I I'm, I totally <laughs> meant to do this, guys. Um, the yeah, so I was talking about this earlier on. Um, but Nashville didn't do a ton in terms of offseason, but they can afford to do that because they didn't really um, do much, uh, you know, because they're, they're an elite team. Um, they, but they did add Dan Hamhuis, uh, and then they subtracted Mike Fisher. Um, some rookies to watch are probably Ely Tolvanen, although it's reported that he's going to be sent to the AHL. I guess he didn't, like, he has to get used to the NHL ice as opposed to the yeah. KHL, but... Um, I, think, I think that's the wisest move, too. Yeah, and it makes sense. It's not like, like you know, Nashville's a good a good enough team where they don't necessarily need Ely Tolvanen, um, which, and that's a good problem to have. So they can afford to develop him in the AHL, and I wouldn't even be surprised if we don't see him until like, next season, like, he just has, like, he plays, like, 10 games this year, and then we see him come back down uh, next year, or, like, you know, he comes back full-time next year, or something like that, but, um, yeah, so we have that, uh, Nashville uh, won the President's Trophy, they had, uh, they were 
53, 18, and 11. Um, and um, hold on, let me. I'm now on the Vegas Golden Knights page for some reason. Um, oh, right, because I was looking at David Perron's staff last year. Uh, so they uh, their leading scorer was uh, Phil Forsberg, um, who had 64 points in 67 games. Arvidsson had 61 points. P.K. Subban had 59 points. Johan, Rijo, who had a funny goal celebration um, the other day um, where he just left the ice after he won the, the game-winning goal. Um, but he had 54 points. Uh, in 79 games, uh, Roman Yossi had 53 points in 75 games. Um, and then we, this just shows how good their depth is. Craig Smith had 51 points in 79 games. Kevin Fiala had 48 points in 80 games. Uh, Kyle Turris, uh, when he was on the team, he had 42 points in 65 games. Uh, and then I guess it gets kind of worse from there, because then you have Kyle Yarncock, who had... 35 points in 68 games. Matthias uh, Ekholm, who's like their uh, underrated defenseman, um, if there are if there is such a thing, because uh, you know you, when you think of the Predators, you think of Subban, Yossi, <clears throat> and Ellis. But uh, Ekholm had 34 points in 80, 81 games, and then Ryan Ellis almost um, beat out Ekholm, and he played 44 games. Um, he had 32 games, uh, 32 points in 44 games. So that's 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 pretty good. Um, yeah, and it also looks like Scott Hartnell is retired, um, as well as Mike Fisher, as I mentioned. So um, yeah, I think. Uh, oh, and then I and then I guess I should mention Pekarine had 42 uh, th- went 42, 13, and four um, with a 9.27 save percentage. A 2.31 GAA. Um, he was unbelievable in the second half, um, where he had a 9.30 save percentage and then uh, a 2.17 GAA in the, like like 23 games. Um, and then you had UC Saros, who also wasn't bad either. Um, he went 11.5 and seven, um, and a save percentage is 9.25. Um, a 9.25 save percentage and a GAA of 2.45. But yeah, I mean, like, I don't see Nashville, like, I don't even have anything, like, any critiques about Nashville, really. Um, it's just like, like, keep on doing what they're doing. I guess I could, we could say that, like, I am curious about what's going to happen at goal. Um, Rene sort of struggled in the playoffs, um, and UC Saros started to take over, um, but he was ultimately not able to kind of finish them off. But um, but I feel like if they split more time together, so if they each get about 40 games a piece, I feel like um, I feel like they'd be better off when they come towards the playoffs, um, because then you know. Both guys are well rested and they don't have to worry about it that much. But um, I could see that being a thing, especially since this is Rene's last year, and this could. I, and I think Saros has a couple more years left on his contract. So, um, so I think that that should be a, an intriguing storyline to look out for for Nashville. 
Yeah, uh, like you said, they didn't really do much. I mean, Zach Ronaldo and Rocco Grimaldi, Jared Denorti, those were the guys yeah, they really added guys, to, yeah. to their roster. And I, I think they even placed Denorti on waivers. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, just goes to show you how much they improved their team in the offseason. But like you said, they didn't really have to. Um, they they just spent time keeping their core together. They gave Hartman another year. They gave Ryan Ellis uh, eight more years, so he's going to have at least nine in Nashville with with the the year left on his contract still to play out this year. They're basically giving the guys in the dressing room what they wanted when the season ended abruptly. Uh, The guys wanted another year together to accomplish what every team wants to do every year, and that's win it all. They want to win the Stanley Cup, and they want to win it with the guys that they have. And David Poyle, being the hockey genius that he is, and being the, the kind hockey man that he is, um, he gave them their wish. He, he trusts that this team is going to have what it takes. But I still think they have quite a few questions to answer, regardless of whatever perfections they have. First of all, that Austin Watson situation might become a distraction. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see how they are going to handle that. Yeah. Secondly, and you alluded to it um, moments ago, the future of Pecorine. If UC Saros outplays Pecorine early, I think Rene could be trade bait uh, towards the end of the season because I think a guy like Pecorine, if he is not a part of their future, I, I I would try and trade him if I am Nashville because if UC Saros turns into basically a younger Pecorine and he's carrying the load, I do think a lot of people would be willing to take a chance on Pecorine. And I think Nashville would be wise to get whatever they could in return for a guy like Pecorine because Rene, I think, still has a lot of value. Um, my last point is how their offense is going to operate. There was that line of Craig Smith, Kyle Turris, Kevin Fiala, which when Turris came on board, really clicked right off the bat. And that line, of course, eventually came down to earth. Johansson... In my opinion, from what the numbers he's put up in previous years, I don't think last year was a banner year for him. I think he's capable of much better this year. Uh, Victor Arvidsson kind of started off slow to last year. He was able to pick it up. Both of those guys, along with Philip Forsberg, needs to need to reach new heights this year because when you look at what the Sharks did with the Carlson train, we're going to talk about that in the Pacific Division preview, of course. And you look at the Winnipeg Jets, when we're going to talk about in a little bit, and the new heights they reached last year. You wonder if Nashville needs to add another offensive piece to put them over the top. But like you said, you have young guys like Ely Tolvanen that are going to be major parts of the future. You can't trade those away. Nashville needs to really look from within and find those solutions with the roster they have now because a big trade is not going to cut it. Yeah, yeah, that's that's fair. Um yeah, I don't, I, yeah, I think I don't know. I th- I think this is just one of those teams for for Nashville is where they like we have to like wait till the playoffs to see what we like to notice their big problems and uh, yeah. la- you know and because because yeah. they they look like the team that couldn't be stopped in the regular season and you look at their right. performance even against Colorado and their performance against Winnipeg like from Pecorino in particular. Right. Like complete polar opposites. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's tough to really take too much stock into the playoffs because it's you know it's just so few games and whatnot. But at the same time, it's like Pecorino did not look good. 
So no. uh, he, he looked he looked average at best. Yeah. So I do kind of wonder if maybe they, um, maybe they do something like maybe they give him less starts in the season or something like that. Yeah. Like, they do have a so, guy like Saros to uh, to help out. So yeah. Um. Yeah. Maybe maybe that is something they do. Um. Yeah, sorry, I don't really have much else to talk about for Nashville. I feel yeah, well, so weird. It, uh, it, Nashville's one of those teams where it's just like, okay, plug them in, play 82 games, make the playoffs. Exactly. They're, they're one of the few teams in the West where you can safely say I know, I know. they're a but playoff feels, team. They're probably going to win the division. Right? Maybe, maybe they won't. If they don't, they're a close second. Yeah, that's true. I, I, I just, I don't know. I just feel, I feel weird and just not having anything to say about one of the best teams in the league. If you, if you if you watch them enough, there's not much more that can be said. Sure. Like, it's like just, all right, just watch they're really just, good. Just watch the just watch the team play. Exactly. Uh, another team that's uh, fun to watch um, is the Winnipeg Jets. So they um, they didn't add much uh, either. They uh, the only one that's notable that they added was Laurent Boisois. Um, from the Edmonton Oilers, I don't. I think I nailed that pronunciation. Yeah, you did. You um, did. And they subtracted Paul Stasny. Uh, they lost him to Vegas. Um, they also lost Steve Mason, although that's not a huge deal. And they also lost uh, Michael Hutchinson. Um, and again, that's not a huge deal. Um, but uh, some rookies to watch: uh, Jack Roslovich. He played a little bit uh, last year, but I get, think he's technically still counted as a rookie this year. Oh no, I guess not because he played 31 games, so I guess he's not really counted as a rookie. Um, and uh, and then um, Sammy Naiku, um, who is a defense. He was like one of the best AHL defensemen last year. Um, but it looks like he's going to have another year in the AHL. Or he's, he'll probably be called up at some point, but um, if there's, like, in case there's a big injury. But yeah. at the moment, he's in the AHL. So, um, yeah, so the, uh, and then uh, the, the Winnipeg Jets went 52, 20, and 10. Um, they finished with 114 points. Uh, There's. Uh, their scorers, Blake Wheeler led the team with 91 points in 81 games. Patrick Laine had 70 points in 82 games. Um, Ellers had 60 points in 82 games. Shifley had 60 points in 60 games. Uh, Kyle Connor, who was, uh, who was a good big-time rookie there, uh, he had 57 points in 76 games. Dustin Bufflin... Uh, was a force. He he had a slow start, but he finished off well. He had 45 points in 69 games. Um, Brian Little had 43 points in 82 games. Perot had 39 points in 70 games. I could go on and on. Tyler Myers had 36 points in 82 games. And then the 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 real MVP of the team was Connor Hellebuck, who went 44, 11, and 9. He had a save percentage of 9.24 save percentage and a 2.36 GAA. Um, it was kind of interesting, too, because they got Steve Mason last offseason uh, sort of because they weren't sure if Hellbuck would be the guy. Um, and then it turns out they were dead wrong, And uh, but it was like a good 
kind of dead wrong. Um, and that Hellebuck just kind of became the guy. Um, but the, that kind of turns me into, like, their, like, a concern kind of in a way is, like, Hellebuck did struggle a lot, like, two years ago. And, like, this is his... This is his first, like, another time where he could, like, I don't know if he's going to get this, like, it, it really depends on how consistent Hellebuck can be. Um, of course, if you can get Hellebuck healthy um, throughout this season, then, yeah, that's great. But it's it's still, like, you know, he's this is, he still only has one really stellar season under his belt, um, so I am wondering how consistent he can be in that regard. The cool thing about the Jets also is that, like, you have guys like Line, Eller, Shifley, Connor, those, other than Wheeler and Bufflin, those are all guys that were drafted by the team, and those were, like, you know, and they were drafted fairly early on in, you know, mm-hmm. recently. Um, you know, and I also mentioned Jack Roslovich, uh, Jacob Truba as well. So, like, I, I love the fact that, like, all their first-round picks have hit. And that's just, like, a, that's just like a cool factor. And, like, they're, they're, like, a part of their core of the team. Like, Line A, Ellers, and Shifley, and Connor are a big part of the core. Of course, you have Wheeler and, and Bufflin. But, like, you still, like, those are, like, big players on, on the team. And, um, so I like, I just like how they're, they're developed so differently from every other team in the league, uh, where, but like, it, it kind of makes sense when you're like, when you were a lottery team for that many times, it makes sense that like your first round picks are your core of your team. So, um, so yeah, I do, I, I just wanted to shout that out that, uh, like, their first round picks really did hit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm honestly heading into this year. I wasn't or last year rather. I wasn't sure what to think when I saw this team, but it's changed a lot in 12 months. My overall perception of this team. I see a hungry team now. I see a team that knows they can be better. I see like Nashville, a lot of unfinished business that needs to be taken care of. Yeah. But like I said, I see the drive inside this team. And I see a commitment level that's going to extend beyond the ice, like Lake Wheeler and Connor Hellebuck showed us this offseason when they committed to this organization long term. And in February, we saw the street cred go up the roof when they traded for Paul Stastny. So I want to see more from them this year. And I think with the guys that they have, I think the Jets can offer more as well. Like you mentioned Kyle Connor and Jack Roslovich. I think they're just getting started. Um, yeah, Patrick Line entering this year as a 40-goal scorer. Um, Mark Shifley continues to establish his game every year. Uh, Christian Veselainen is one guy that I think could take the league by storm in the not-too-distant future. Uh, yeah, Jacob Trubo with that chip on his shoulder, um, poised for a monster campaign as well. And beyond Jacob Trubo, their defense looks good. They have Dustin Bufflin still. They have Josh Morrissey uh, yep. for a couple more years. They have Tyler Myers due for... A new contract soon. They have Dmitry Kulikov as well. But I think beyond Connor Halbuck, their goaltending concerns me because, like you said, they don't have Michael Hutchinson. They traded Steve Mason to Montreal, later bought out by the Habs. 
So that leaves them with Eric Comrie or Laurent Rossois as the guy to back up Hellebuck. And what happened in Edmonton last year with Cam Talbot could easily happen to Connor Hellebuck in Winnipeg this year. And if that happens, I think the Jets are going to be in rough shape. So uh, their backup goaltending needs to be good, and they can't overwork Connor Hellebuck like they did last year because that's only going to take them so far. Yeah, uh, Lauren Porcois had an 8.83 save percentage and a GAA of 3.24 in 14 games, so a small sample size, but that's not good uh, for no. Edmonton. Although that is Edmonton, so it could be a little bit different if he's in Yeah, but... I, I definitely think compared to Edmonton's defense, yeah. I would grade I would grade Winnipeg's defense higher. Right. But still, I mean, you look at what yeah. Edmonton did in 2016-2017, still with that same defense, they were able to go to where they yeah. hadn't been in such a long time. So. Sure. Um, it, it could happen to any good team. Yeah, but, like, you do bring up a good point. Like, Hellebuck needs to be a workhorse, but, like, he also, like, it's probably not wise to have him start 70 games or so. Yeah, no. So, um, so I think, I think there is some concern in terms of Laurent Persuas being, uh, uh, being a legitimate backup. Um, so, um, yeah, that is a concern. Um... Having said that, I think, like, you know, like, I, 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 I'm just, like, in love with this forward group, and I feel like it rivals Toronto's uh, forward yeah. group. Um, and in, and, in and it's, it's kind of presenting the same cap issues, yeah. too. Exactly. And what's, what's crazy, too, is I was looking here because I, I also see the time on ice on average. You know that Patrick Laine got had 16 minutes and 29 uh, seconds on an average time on ice and that's had, incredible it's it, it, it's just like William Carlson taking yeah. advantage of your ice time and scoring but lots like, of goals while doing it he, he had 70 points with like minimal ice time it's just yeah. it's just absurd uh, so like I wonder like what would happen if he had like 20 minutes on ice time I, I don't know <laughs> he had 40 <laughs> goals with. I, that's 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 one of those things similar to Tampa Bay, like we talked about in our Atlantic right. Division preview, where there's so much offense to contain, and even if you can contain one line, the other line's going to find exactly, a way to figure yeah. things out and light the lamps. So, um, I think it's one of those cases where yeah. too much offense can't contain all of it. Someone's going to find the back of the net. Yeah. On that note, though, I feel like they are they they may lose uh, somewhat. In terms of because that loss of Paul Stasny may be uh, maybe an issue um, in the long run. Um, mm, yeah, I it, could see that happening. Uh, yeah, I do like because they have great wingers um, in Wheeler, Line, Ellers, and Connor, but um, but they only have Shifley as their center. And then I guess, like, I, I like Brian Little, but I feel like I'd rather have Stasny, and they didn't really get another center, a second-line center. So unless Jack Roslovich could transform into that, I just don't... I think that's the the other concern I would have, is, like, their loss of Paul Stasny. Um, so. Yeah, I, I definitely think the experience at center might be a concern, but I, I think I think in a couple of years, Jack Roslovich is going to fill that void pretty well. All right, so that, that takes, yeah, that agrees. Uh, so that kind of takes us 
to our top three, because um, we're done with the division now. Um, the I'm going to actually speak, even though I just gave them a big critique there, I think I'm going to say Winnipeg is going to finish first. Um, okay. Just because they, they have so many young guys, um, I feel like Hellebuck's just only going to be better. I'm not sh- And then I have Rene, it's going to be like wire to wire with Nashville. Um, I am not so concerned, I'm more concerned about Nashville's goaltending issues than Winnipeg's goaltending issues. So I feel like um, that's going to be the deciding factor. Um, But again, like, and then also like the, I don't know, the center issues too for Nashville. Kyle Turris, can he get back to what he was? I don't know. So um, I feel like they're about even, um, and I think Winnipeg will be there. Um, and then I think uh, St. Louis did enough. Um, I am uh, to be to be in the playoffs. Um, I have them at three. Um, although I wouldn't be surprised if Colorado makes it there. Um, but I, I I am also concerned about Jake Allen's goaltending situation. But I don't know. Grubauer um, and uh, Varlamov could also be interesting. So I, I'm, I'm kind of, I feel like it's going to be those four teams are definitely in, though. For sure. Sorry, uh, you said Nashville, Winnipeg, and who are the other two? So Winnipeg's one, uh, Nashville's two. I'm going to go with St. Louis, although I wouldn't be surprised if Colorado uh, gets the third spot. Um, I think Nashville, Winnipeg, and Minnesota are all going to be neck and neck. Um, I think Nashville and Winnipeg are probably going to have the tightest race. Uh, I don't think the division is going to be clinched until the final few days. Um, I'm going to give Nashville the slight edge, and Winnipeg's not going to be far behind. Minnesota, I'm going to put in third. But... I think Minnesota, Colorado, St. Louis, and Dallas are all going to be in the 40 to 45 win range. Yeah. So it's not just going to be the division that's going to be up for grabs in the final few weeks. It's every position. So um, I I think I'd put Minnesota in the third spot, but you're going to have Colorado, St. Louis, and Dallas jousting it for the final two wildcard spots. Um, I think Colorado yeah. finishes fourth. St. Louis gets fifth. I think the inexperience in coaching in year one for Montgomery is going to be the eventual downfall of the Stars, and then that leaves Chicago in dead last. Okay. I see, for me, I have, I think Dallas will get the fifth wildcard spot, um, although it'll be close with Minnesota. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know, I I am kind of optimistic about Chicago, but I don't know if they'll beat out all all these other teams um, in the division. So, yeah, I think Chicago will be last, I guess. Um, although I wouldn't be surprised if they make some noise. Um, so, like, imagine if Chicago actually gets going. That would be kind of crazy. Um, all right, that's going to take it today. Um, join in tomorrow for the uh, Pacific Division uh, preview.